0: Welcome to the Rate Debate, a lively discussion from the champions of Australian fixed income, featuring Darren Langer and Chris Rands from Nico Asset Management. Hello, and welcome to the Rate Debate. I'm Darren Langer, Head of Fixed Income at Nico Asset Management, and joining me is my co portfolio manager, Chris Rands. Hello, everyone. Well, it's the first Tuesday of April and that means the RBA has just met. Policy uh, was firmly unchanged and the RBA is sticking to its guns pretty much. So Chris, there wasn't a real lot that came out that was any real surprise, but there seemed to be at least a little bit of um, warning, I-, I guess, over the over the bowels of housing prices. Um, what did you make of today's uh, statement?
1: Yeah, so I-, I think the most interesting piece of language that came out of the statement today was around housing. So last month when the RBA referred to housing, what they said was that lending standards remain sound and it's important that they remain so. Whereas this month, what they said was the bank will be monitoring trends in the housing borrowing carefully and it's important that lending standards are maintained. So they've gone from saying, that blended standings are sound to now saying we're watching it. So I think that is a bit of a nod to say, we're starting to see the market really pick up and whether it's the RBA or or APRA, someone at some stage is probably gonna have to step in and, and maybe rein it in a little bit.
0: Yeah, it certainly seemed a bit more urgent than uh, perhaps um, APRA made out the other day. But, you know, it's it's not something that, that looks like they're too worried. Certainly doesn't mean they're about to tighten um, policy anytime soon, I would suggest. But apart from that, really, there's not a lot really to say. One of the problems we're going to have over the next couple of months really is, is, A, finding things to say. But I guess starting to look at what perhaps happens over the next couple of months and um, whether the impact from current settings What's that likely to do? And, and you know what what's going to happen when they start to unwind all of this mess?
1: Yeah. So when when you look at I guess what the RBA is saying, I think it's quite important to to nail down what they actually are saying. And so what they're they're telling us is that the cash rate won't move for at least three years. But they're not really saying anything about. Uh, the QE policy and the term the term funding facility and also the yield curve control policy. So I think from their perspective, if things start looking up, which they certainly look like they are, those policies will become the ones that are first on the chopping block to re- be removed. So when we've looked at this in the past, what we've thought is the first thing that would happen is they get rid of yield curve control and then they think about removing QE.
0: Yeah, and I think one of the things that isn't really well understood with that is that those, those policies are actually easing rates um, and they have a certain impact on the market. And when people talk about raising cash rates, they rarely talk about the effects of unwinding some of this. Um, you, you've been looking at what the impact of those policies are and probably what the stimulus effect has been to try and work out what will happen as they start to unwind some of this stuff.
1: Yeah. So if we if we look at kind of each of those po- policies separately, we, we can kind of get a feel for just what they've done. So if we start with QE, because that's probably the biggest policy change, the research uh, across multiple different countries says that every one and a half percent of GDP in purchases is worth a, a 0.25% cut. So if we put that in the context of the RBA, that tells us that a a hundred billion of purchases is probably worth about three to four interest rate cuts in a in a normal cycle. So when we look at what they've done, they've bought a hundred billion of bonds, they're going to buy a hundred billion more over the next six months. That probably tells us that, you know, they've done about one and a half to 2% in additional cash rate cuts from that policy. And if they were to stop buying in six months time, then then that would also tell us that they're probably gonna be taking about three cuts out of the market. So that alone I think is is a fair bit of easing that would come out of the market if we move to the yield curve control it's a bit harder to pin down because there's not as many countries doing it but if we look at australia our three-year bond is about 0.1 percent in the us it's about 35 basis points in canada and new zealand their three-year bonds about 50 basis points so the yield curve control i would say is probably good for another one to two cuts as well Which would mean if you took the lot off all at once, you're probably looking at, say, one to one and a half percent increase in, you know, the effective cash rate just from those policies.
0: Which is pretty sizable and something a lot of commentators don't seem to really take into account. You know, we keep hearing that cash rates are going up, but that's on top of what they're already doing with YCC and QE um, to tighten on top of that would be a really significant tightening probably the largest amount of tightening that we've seen in a very long period of time you know it's hard to see that the economy is really strong enough to cope with that and even growth running above trend at over two percent. It, it's hard to see it that's still strong enough to handle three, four hundred points of tightening at any time soon. And
1: and I think that's probably why the RBA is saying they're not going to moving the cash rate until twenty twenty four at the earliest. But, you know, these other policies that they, they, they seem very quiet on. I mean, from my perspective, when I look at this and what we were discussing uh, this morning when we were looking at some of this information, the employment situation is now basically back to where it was pre-COVID. So we've we've recovered all of the job losses in the outright employment figures and, and the unemployment rate is back to 5.8%. And I think if we were to say, what's the odds of the RBA running QE without COVID occurring, we would have said it's, it's relatively low. And so I think there is an argument here that at some point in the near future, they probably will be thinking of at least the yield curve control policy and if not QE kind of in the back end of this year, because certainly the economic information is getting back to where it was pre-COVID when they didn't think they needed these policies.
0: It's hard to, um, I guess, think about the fact that we've still got higher unemployment now and although we do have slightly stronger participation, you know, to think that we've got all those jobs back still sounds a bit unreasonable to me. And, and you know, I I still question that. But but yes, it's, it's come back quite strongly. But the other thing that uh, sort of sticks in the back of my mind is that we've seen um, Josh Frydenberg, Treasurer, talk about the need to start winding back some of the fiscal policy. So, what we've seen over the last few years that we've seen a, a really, really um, strong monetary policy response. We've seen an equally strong, if not stronger fiscal policy response. And, and we're already hearing the government wants to start taking back its fiscal policy. So to me, it seems like completely unrealistic that we're gonna be able to do both of those at the same time. But what are your thoughts around that?
1: Yeah, but my thought on some of this stuff generally is people probably happily that I'm not in charge because I look at what's going on and I see a a 5.8% unemployment rate. I see inflation that's probably going to be back above 2% relatively soon. You've got a vaccine rollout that supposedly should have us completely vaccinated by October. Uh, And as I said, all those jobs that have been lost are now supposedly recovered. I kind of look at that and say, how much more am I meant to spend on this economy if we are truly back to that point? Now, if we're not back at that point and, you know, the fallout from JobKeeper ending or, you know, potentially the economy is not quite as strong as some of these stats suggest, there needs to be more spending. I think, though, if it is as strong as it looks, either monetary policy can start to be tightened slightly. I don't think the cash rate needs to move. I think that it's yield curve control and QE that should be on the chopping block or the fiscal policy gets tightened. I think at some point in time, if the economic data is as strong as it looks, one of those two policies probably needs to be tightened up.
0: Yeah, there's definitely um, a move by the government to want to start reducing the amount that they're putting out into the market. They want to end up, you know, trying to wind back the deficit as much as possible. They've got no chance of putting up taxes. As much as people like to talk about that, no one's been able to put up taxes for a very long time. So the only really things in their favour of that is, a stop increasing the amount of debt and hope that growth eventually comes along, pays it back. Now, we we have seen at state government level really good um, responses from the increase in housing. It's actually helping with all the the stamp duty. Um, But at a federal level, um, keeping people employed um, is generally the best way of um, increasing their revenue. So, you know, I think once they start to see some of the the benefits that they're getting from that, they're going to be even less willing to to keep throwing money on the fire. So that, that's why I think again, you know, it's a really long way away from seeing the lBA being able to tighten to tighten cash rates because as they start to withdraw some of that stimulus, it's going to have an impact in itself. So I guess at that point, where you could time rates have backed up. Um, in February, we saw them move up around 80 basis points, yet for the average homeowner in Australia, there's been no real impact on rates. We really need to see short rates probably start to go higher at that point. So given, given all of this, and the fact that the, the longer end of the yield curve doesn't really impact the average Australian um, borrower, what, what are your thoughts around, um, you know, have we seen longer end yields go as high as they can, or do you think we've got more to come there?
1: Yeah, so when, when we kind of discussed this, I guess last month, um, we described some of the ranges that we like to use in terms of 10 year bonds versus cash. If we go a little bit longer out to say 20 years, I think this is probably a more interesting point of where potentially the, the kind of value, I guess, in the fixed income market is starting to open itself up. So if we look at the Commonwealth government bond in the 2041 maturity, so that's a 20 year bond now, If we go back to 2018 which was a period where the rba was telling us that interest rates are about to to go higher the 2041 bond was trading at about three to 3.2 percent if we roll forward to 2019 that had fallen down to one and a half percent and the sell-off of the past month has now taken it back to two and a half so The 20 year bond is now closer to it was in early 2018 than it was in the middle of 2019 when interest rates kind of first started falling from the RBA cutting. So when we look at those kind of spreads to cash, you're now starting to open up a mighty big spread for the 20 year bond, which kind of, I think would say, if you don't think the cash rate's gonna move, which obviously we're saying we don't think it's going to, that to me is is a, a premium now where it's probably starting to look pretty good and should start to peter out simply
0: because that those spreads don't usually get this wide and we would expect if there is any movement in cash rates that most of the the yield changes will come in that front end of the curve which will make you know obviously for borrowers in the housing market a little bit more expensive and for companies as well but but the long end generally tends to to hit its highs um, just before they start to tighten cash so um, you know the one thing that could change that obviously is a breakout in inflation um, the RBA is still sticking to its guns and saying that they don't see any large increases in inflation, and that's kind of our analysis as well. A lot of people that are talking about blowouts in inflation are talking about events that we find very difficult to to see in, in a world where technology. Um, Is particularly strong in aging um, populations but you know it doesn't mean it can't happen and that would be where we would be wrong on this and longer term rates could definitely go higher in that instance but but given what we see and what we think happens we're probably you know getting close to seeing the high uh, or at least the peak in, in longer bond yields but that doesn't mean that you know shorter ones can't go higher. I guess just to round things out, one thing we also see from these policies is that they're all designed to make people borrow. (laughs) You know, much of monetary policy and even fiscal policy is around either two things, either getting people to borrow more money or getting people to spend more money. It seems to be some of the general commentary is that the RBA um, and particularly the government have been a bit slow in past years to to use those tools and that perhaps we haven't seen the growth that we could have seen. But they also make it sound as like it's a a free ride and at zero rates, maybe it is a free ride. But but what what sort of limits are there, Chris, do you think? I mean, can we do this forever with no consequences?
1: Yeah, I certainly don't think there aren't any consequences. And, And when you look at these policies and what they're designed to do. Typically the trade-off is the short and the long term. So in the short term, the policies that they run, it, it generally does feel like a free ride because you get a pickup in growth, you get a pickup in spending, you know, you look at the housing market starting to run and that'll flow into retail sales and, and all sorts of other things. So in the short term, the policies will be good in getting unemployment back and and taking us where we need to be. But a lot of research that comes out of the IMF and the Bank of International Settlements tells us that it's actually uh, a double-edged sword. So if you look, there was some uh, recent research from the IMF and what they said is that the borrowing creates a growth to GDP kind of over the next four quarters but then seven to eight quarters out, you're gonna probably start to see a drag. So that would probably put a timeline of of late 2022 as as the time for when we start to see things slowing down. And this would look very similar to 2018. So in 2018, we actually wrote some research which referred to a Bank of International Settlements report. And what they said was a one percentage point increase in household debt to GDP tends to lower growth in the long run by 0.1%. So You know, if we think the housing market's going to jump 15 to 20 percent, then you'd probably expect household debt to GDP to increase probably 10 percent, five to 10. And that could be a half percent drag of GDP over the long term from those figures. So, yes, you get a a fantastic boost over the next kind of four to eight quarters. But my feeling would be at some point you're going to have to pay for that. And the research tells us it would probably be kind of late 2022, 2023 when that starts to show up.
0: So I reckon our listeners are probably pretty happy now that we're doing all the reading of all these lovely dry reports and stuff. And I'm pretty happy you were doing most of it. Yeah, I I think this is one of the things that's not well understood again with um sort of this kind of economics is that there's no free ride. Um if you take growth from the future and you don't change the way the economy works. There's no free ride you don't suddenly get more growth just magically we're probably have taken a fair bit of growth away from the future so the arguments around this is you know is that good for younger people um, we're pushing up house prices we're still not seeing wage rises there's lots of policy implications from this which I don't think we've really started to question just yet and it'll be something that's probably interesting for for future podcasts to look to see whether some of these things come about but but that's that's our feeling or my feeling anyway, is that in the long run, we're not really getting away from the problem. We're just pushing it further down the road. And without some sort of change to the way we operate the economy, we're not suddenly going to magically get growth um, just because we borrow a lot of money and, and try and you know, spend our way out of problems
1: yeah and I think the, the point of the, the most recent IMF report that they put out was to certainly say that macroprudential should play an important role in taking the lumpiness out of that borrowing. Um, time frame out. So let's not front load the borrowing over the next two quarters and then watch it fall off, you know, sometime in 2022. Instead, let's slow them down a little bit and and ensure that borrowing comes over, say, eight to 12 quarters rather than four. So that would that would blunt the short term effect because you wouldn't get such a boost right now, but it wouldn't actually kind of drag as much in the future because it's a little bit more natural. If you look at what the RBA is saying, if you look at what APRA is at the saying at the moment, nobody seems to be putting their hand up to say that the housing market running like this is their problem. So I don't think we're going to see that yet. But obviously the IMF at least is saying that would be a good policy if they could start thinking about it
0: now. Lots of policy implications, lots of trickiness for both the government and the RBA to, to um, sort of work their way through over the next couple of months. I mean, so some of these stuff, we won't see the impacts for six to 12 months, probably. So it's, it, it's very difficult to be too um, certain that, you know, we're not gonna get benefits from all of this, but, but our feeling is that like in 2018, we're just gonna end up um, two years down the track in the same boat, and, that, and that's not a good good outcome for anybody. So that's it for us this month. Um, Before I go, I just want to let you know that you can subscribe to our Insights email at nicoam.com.au, so you'll automatically receive any of our updates. Tune in next month when we deliver our latest thoughts on the RBA's May rate decision and, and provide an update on what's happening in markets. Until then, stay safe. This podcast was prepared by Nico AM Limited, ABN 99003376252, AFSL number 237563. It is of a general nature only and does not constitute personal advice or an offer of any financial product, it does not take into account the objectives, financial situation or needs of any individual. Any references to particular securities or sectors are for illustrative purposes only and this is not a recommendation. Any economic or market forecasts are not guaranteed.